0: Give it up baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, I studied this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: good everybody welcome to the forbidden technique podcast uh, on the fight side podcast network with myself your host silas mine my co-host as always christian reynolds uh, today we've got a ufc card to get into but first i guess just a quick recap of the one fight that we kind of actually previewed uh, for the weekend just gone glory kickboxing had a, a ridiculously long event where nobody got knocked out somehow had a bunch of good fights and violence and knockdowns and bangers and comebacks and masterclasses and and, and zero finishes somehow. Uh, Petch Panaprang had a fantastic performance, defended his title. Uh, Tiffany Van Soos had a tepid performance. She probably lost whatever. Uh, but Alistair Overeem, he fucking did it. He put the seal on the trilogy with Bada Harry. And like we basically did no technical analysis on the fight and just said, Alistair Overeem is going to win because that's what's right in the universe. And that, that's essentially what happened because the uh, Reem looked old. He was like pretty roided up again for his return to kickboxing and not having to deal with USADA again. But uh, it was funny, like having watched a bunch of Uber Reem era uh, Reem fights and you know his first fight with... Uh, Harry and seeing him just trying to do an impression of that at 42 years old but uh, it was still a smart performance from Alistair Overeem we know from Alistair Overeem you don't have a combat sports career this long and decorated and get knocked out this many times without learning a thing or two you know he knew that to run this kind of <sighs> Southpaw outfighting thing that he had been doing in the UFC for a good while uh, was just not going to work against Bader He knew that he beat Bader when when he bullied him and pushed him back and put him out of position to land like big shifting hooks and stuff like this. So he he, he kind of just did that again and like got his ass beat early should have just I mean should have had an easy 10-8 in the second round but the refs were giving batter every inch and didn't call a knockdown where he like like got badly hurt and touched his glove to the ground Uh then in the third round he got like absolutely splattered first time he got dropped probably uh, shouldn't have even made the count but again the ref gave him a ridiculously long count yeah it was it, it was a stupid fight but it, it, was, it was amazing I loved it
0: yeah and over him looked old with like 15 O's but he also looked jacked with like thirty j's. Like he 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 looked near o- Uberim status. I, I I appreciate uh really jacked old Uberim a lot.
1: I, I I can I can't believe we're getting another phase of of Alex
0: <laughs> Yeah, like have him fight Rico Verhoeven, and I'm I'm cool with that. It's gonna be a fun fight. I mean, like realistically Rico Verhoeven should be able to like easily win
1: he should be able to but he really might not
0: and we got Ubreme Ubreme, uh, Alistair Ubreme is like a very smart person genuinely Uh, hearing human interviews is the strangest thing because normally when you think of someone that's been knocked out uh, 55 times you assume and also I don't even need to exaggerate I can just say how many times he's been knocked out and it sounds like an exaggeration he's been knocked out like 17 times and he's still coherent like completely he's if anything the most coherent he's ever been
1: he's coherent he's charming he can easily remember fun anecdotes about uh legends he trained with like 15 years ago he seamlessly flows between english and dutch like speaking uh, to his family it's it's remarkable It just doesn't get everyone the same. He has
0: things to say all the time. Like he always is very insightful in regards to talking to his opponent. He seems to not really hold any grudges anymore. Like he's just a very well emotionally healed person, (laughs) which is not something that I typically get to say about an MMA fighter or a a combat sports athlete in general. It's just, it's very a stark contrast watching his career and then hearing him talk because he is a, a smart fighter. Definitely but he's normally not as smart of a fighter as he is an actual person. But this fight kind of it went against that because he looked very smart.
1: Yeah, like, he just looked clumsy and awkward compared to his younger self, but it was a tactically intelligent performance to just walk batter down with a high guard and throw a bunch of weird shifting combinations and get him with, like, cheeky short clinch offense.
0: And something that's funny, but literally correct about Alistair game is that when he's jacked, his defense is better because his biceps literally cover his head enough. So like, he has a small head and the bigger his biceps are, the more surface area is covered whenever he puts up a high guard because his defense isn't anything special at all. It never has been. But at his best, he has a big enough arm to just defend. It doesn't have to use distance as much as much insulation. Uh, a big factor in his economy arc was him just being really far away from people and going southpaw so that he didn't have to exchange with people. But when he's really jacked, he can exchange with people because he's just so large that you have to work around his guard really well. And he's, his abs are so jacked that you're not just going to body shot him. You know, like, you really got to put in the work and, like, bait him out and draw him out into exchanges to, to like, hurt him.
1: Yeah, how are how you going to find his chin when you got to get past his fucking lats?
0: Yeah, and he has a small head, at least relative to his body. I don't know how small his head actually is, but it, like relative to the rest of his body, whenever he's super jacked, it does not look like it belongs on his body. So kind of a superpower in that way. Small target, easier to defend.
1: It was also really funny um, him uh, saying that he was now the glory heavyweight champion because Rico was running and Rico got ex- just absolutely furious about it. It's just the maddest you've ever seen, Rico Verhoeven. About anything, he was so fucking mad.
0: I, I think Rico Verhoeven has finally gotten to a point where he's upset with people constantly shitting on him because he he definitely hears people like making fun of him, be like, oh, haha, he's so jacked and, and shit and handsome. But uh, you know, oh, he lost to uh, Semi Schultz when he was like seven years old. Oh, haha. He's like, shut the fuck up. I'm I'm good. I I how many times do I have to defend this belt before people actually recognize me as good? It's like who gives a shit about the context of my wins? I'm winning. He, also, he had the he had the interview where or the post fight interview a while ago where he was just saying like some normal shit and then someone that wanted to fight him said something and then he he just stood up and was like hey fuck you and that was the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> just seems so out of character for him but i think he's he's reached his joker arc he's, he's just done he's like this is bullshit people need to stop making fun of me am a fucking joke to these people am i a joke to you i'm the most handsome and jacked guy that's ever lived i'm so good at kickboxing I haven't lost in years <laughs> what do i have to do for people to stop making fun of me he he's just like a he's not even dumb he's just has himbo energy
1: Okay, so I guess we're going to talk about this UFC card. Yeah, we got another perfectly okay women's main event, but another one that, I mean, more than the last one, to be honest, that you really can't complain about because this is pretty much a guaranteed winner if this fight gets a title shot fight. And it has been a very consistent criticism of the promotional structure of the UFC, that uh, particularly in kind of... Divisions that have less names in them don't get any five-round fights, and by the time people have to fight for a title, they've never had main event spotlight. They don't have five-round experience, so uh, this is perfectly fine. We've got Alexa Grasso fighting Viviane Araujo, and while obviously we've got to get into technical aspects of this fight, I feel just necessary to get it out of the way that Alexa Grasso is small for flyweight. Um, like I always thought she was kind of small for strawweight and I was surprised that of all the people fighting in that division that she would be the one to make a committed move to flyweight. I don't know, she's just denser than she looks or doesn't like cutting weight or whatever. Like, fair enough because she has had pretty good success at the division because all of these performances have been marked by her having a dramatic speed advantage over all of her opponents at flyweight because, I mean she's she's quick for a strawweight and she just she's a, she has like pretty good mechanics so uh she's just like one of the quicker fighters in flyweight in general um but then also she's been fighting uh Jeon kim macy barber and joanne calderwood who are all larger than her but no, none of which have any like distinct physical advantages uh, over Alexa Grasso other than I guess Macy Barber is maybe stronger but it didn't matter at all because she was just j- just technically worse than Alexa Grasso of, of fighting so that's a concern because Viviane Araujo is the strong but uh you know what does Alexa Grasso actually do why is she good uh just like nice boxing and jiu-jitsu she's got like pretty good footwork and a nice jab and she's good at using it to draw out exchanges land a nice little counter combination and get out of range really quickly uh she just like doesn't hit hard though uh she throws with intent and has like yeah decent mechanics and placement and timing and throws in combination and she just very rarely like noticeably hurts her opponent she's got really nice jujitsu. she's good at taking the back she's really like good about getting sweeps like she just, she won't really hang around on bottom and just try stupid shit like all of her guard game is like it is based around getting sweeps and like working to top position um like there's a really nice sequence in the macy barber fight where she uh gets taken down and as soon as she's in guard like goes triangle switches that to an arm bar uses that to uh roll over directly into side control and passes into an arm triangle Then uses that to take the back as uh, Baba tries to turn out of that. So, uh, and then uh, Viviane Araujo, just really big and strong. Uh, Mostly just like a really tight top position grappler. She's got really nice passing. She just, I think she just has an issue that because she is just pretty physically imposing, she just muscles everything like more than she needs to and just throws everything really hard, but like kinda of pushes her punches and just like doesn't throw very fast and just kinda kinda of throws one at a time. It's all just big left hooks and stuff. And it's kinda of, it's kind of a lot of the same stuff like with her takedowns and she tends to tends to become a bit of a victim of, of her own pace. And you know, we've seen, you know, someone you know with reach but also a lot less physically imposing in Caitlyn's UK you can just be able to like uh just keep her feet moving and just work volume from range and like be just a solid enough grappler to be able to d- deny any real extended success so all right, what do you think of this fight Christian
0: it's kind of difficult for me to pick a winner because i can see a very clear route to victory for both but for Arujo, it's dependent on her own brain thinking. Whereas I, th- I think for Grasso, it's really just dependent on if Arujo does the correct things right off the bat, because Arujo is strong enough to where if they end up tying up, I think she's just going to overpower Grasso, uh, and any skilled uh, advantages that Grasso may have would just be kind of inert at least for a few rounds. I could see Grasso being just kind of stranded on bottom with a size difference. But Grasso has more routes to victory from like a actual process perspective. I could see her having good success, just sticking and moving, getting away, uh, just like prodding with a jab, circling out, just kind of just on loop until she gets Aruja really tired, then she could try and open up a bit more. Grasso's... Uh, her boxing has a good amount of variance to it once you actually allow her the comfort to stop just doing one-twos or, or like a one-two and left hook, but if you can keep her tentative, you can really restrict her, her game into just that, and Arujo is pretty fast at blitzing. I could see her having some success catching uh, Grosso as Grosso's trying to circle out, because her her circling is nice, but it's not like the most developed anti-pressure circling I've ever seen. You know, like she'll still be pretty predictable in which direction she's going to head out normally. So I could see just the nature of Arujo's game where she doesn't really have much of a process and she she more just looks for moments of success. I could see that biting her. But I, I could also see it annoying Grosso enough to where Grosso can't really get going the way she wants to. It's just over 5 rounds I trust Grasso's cardio a lot more than I trust Araujo's. So,
1: yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Grasso being really consistent, really well conditioned, like always throwing a lot of volume. I think even though it's probably somewhat of a physical mass mismatch, I think she is going to be able to compete in scrambles particularly like the deeper the fight goes. I think if it was three rounds, I'd be a lot more more tentative about picking her. But I think over five, uh, I think she's going to be able to, like, she's just going to be able to hold up better and and uh, push a higher pace at, uh, in in the later rounds. I think she's just going to win a lot of exchanges, and I don't even necessarily think it's going to matter that <clears throat> that much if she's if she's able to hurt Araujo, because I think she's gonna she's just going to be so much quicker. Like we'll just constantly throw back in combination. And I, th- since I think just has a lot better defense. Like what, one thing I think's kind of interesting about this fight is like people always talk about MMA being a a f- person who go forward win fight. I kinda think this is like maybe the opposite of that because I think kind of both of these fighters have more like defensive and mechanical deficiencies when they're trying to lead on the front foot
0: i I mostly agree with that. I do think Grosso is just flat out bad going forward normally, whereas Arujo at least has things she can do. I think most of her success in the back foot in this fight were she to take the back foot would be based off of Grosso's deficiencies more so than her own like covering up deficiencies. I think that Viviane is also deceptively a lot less strong than she seems like she is while still being strong. But you know, you you watch her fights and you see how the matchups shake out. It seems like she's a lot more strong than she actually is. I think, I could be wrong, but it just—it seems like she doesn't actually have the ability to overpower most people in the sense of just get, if she grabs your wrist, you're clinching with her. It's—it's it's more like if you end up in a body lock with her, she will overpower you and probably get a trip.
1: Yeah, and like Alexa Grasso was just fine uh, in tie-ups with Macy Barber, who. Yeah, it isn't very good, but we've seen just like consistent feather-fisted technicians and physically underwhelming people at flyweight be beating Macy Barber and then she just walks up to them and kills them. So like, you know, Alexa Grasso is also stronger than she looks.
0: But overall, I think I'm, I'm going to pick Grasso by late submission. Yeah? I don't, I don't know if it's going to be club and sub, but I'm thinking maybe Grasso could could get something done later later on if Arujo really gets tired and Arujo gets pretty sloppy whenever she gets tired in the sense that she'll she'll get very reckless and start hunting takedowns that she doesn't have any right to be going for uh, in the context like she'll she'll just dive in on someone that she's not in position to get any sort of good shot on and Grosso can punish you for that definitely i could see Arujo shooting from too far away and then Grosso's kind of stepping over her and taking the back.
1: Um, Yeah, I hadn't really considered that. I was just going to pick her by decision because I think she is just going to constantly be able to... uh, like, Even if she just gets her offense limited to 1s and 2s and 3s and 2s, she can get an awful lot done with those three punches.
0: And and Grosso having a really good shin and Arujo being a lot less powerful than it seems like she should be, just because her mechanics are pretty lacking. I, I think... Grosso's not in too much danger to be hurt by strikes. It's not impossible. But then in a, a crazy matchup, uh Jonathan Martinez fighting Cubs Watson and Cubs Watson's uh first Bantamweight fight.
1: Yeah, it's this is interesting because we've we've often talked about how uh were Cubs Watson coming up as a fighter, now he'd almost certainly be a bantamweight, like if not a flyweight. But we never expected him to actually like make the change in his career at this point. And this is a cool fight. This is a nice matchup for Cubs you know, Jonathan Ma- Martinez, just like solid Southpaw kickboxer guy. Um, you know, does a lot of the like just left kick, left hand switch ups, but doesn't solely rely on just that one trick being his whole game. Um, he's also got like nice intercepting knees and uh, cheeky clinch elbows. He's got a nice lead hand as a southpaw. A Christian Wise Cubs wants in uh, gonna uh,
0: son this fool. Uh, he's, he's gonna be experiencing the first ever size advantage he's <laughs> he's ever had. And he, I don't know, it, it's uh, it's weird because it's hard to just assume that a, a career long featherweight is gonna also be as good at bantweight, but it, it tends to be that those guys are still pretty good, like every WEC guy that has gone to bantamweight that I can think of uh, from, like, the old guard has done well. Like, Aldo did really fucking well. His power carried, he wasn't slow, uh, his cardio was about the same as it was at that stage of, of his career.
1: Uh, how would it go for Frankie Edgar? Uh,
0: arguably not that bad. You know, like, he's... Like, he got knocked out by Corey Sandhagen in, in 30 seconds... Shit happens, like Corey Sanhagen flying knees everyone, uh, and and Frankie is the type of guy that really does get flying need. Then Chido Vera, he made it two rounds with Chido Vera, like or he made it into the third round. Yeah, like that. That's still not nothing. Chido Vera is a really fucking good finisher, and he's he's hard to beat.
1: And a lot of people don't think he beat Pedro Munoz, but.
0: But he did. Well, so, you know. Yeah. No one that watched the fight <laughs> thinks that Pedro Munoz lost.
1: Yeah, it's on his record though. Uh,
0: I, I do think uh Frankie being shot was like he was so much more shot than Cub was. Yeah, he by was that already point.
1: he was already shot, yeah.
0: Yeah, but like Cub Swanson, he's past it, but he's not shot. Like he still has dynamic ability, he still fights like himself.
1: Uh, how past it even is he physically? Because like every time I watch a Cub Swanson fight, I'm just I'm. I'm still just like. He, oh yeah, he he always like could have just been really tentative against a guy who was seven feet tall and then just gotten body kicked once and finished, like. And it, it's that, not like oh. his chin
0: is is degrading. Like unless his chin is just bad at weight I kind of think it's a layup matchup because it's a, a southpaw that has a pretty rote move set, and Cub thrives in that type of weird matchup.
1: Yeah, Cub's because still fast. There's not going to be a takedown threat. Um, he might, like, he might just get like Edson Barboza syndrome and just suddenly be a fucking huge puncher at bantamweight. Honestly, wouldn't surprise me because he's always been a respectable hitter. But like, he, he, you know, he's been a, he, you know, he's a speed athlete at featherweight, but he, like, he could just have fucking heavy hands at one thirty-five.
0: Yeah, and Cub's has great judo throws. I could see him, uh, like. Overthrowing something into landing in a clinch exchange and then just hip tossing Martinez, like I don't think he's gonna have that much success on the ground. Like aside from just landing the throw and then them back on the feet, but I could see Cub actually kind of imposing his size with a grappling performance in this fight to to some degree. Even though I think he's probably gonna try and keep it on the feet. Like Martinez is very good at range, but I don't think he's gonna be able to shut down what Cub wants to do when it comes to Cub's entering because Cub has really uh, not nice entries but they're cool like his entries are are very he's very creative yeah like technically abstract one could describe them as they're they're functional and they work and like you can see the like the sense they make but it's just very awkward looking
1: yeah and um but and, and just like seeing jonathan martinez uh, have a lot of success early, just kind of doing his moves against Davy Grant and then kind of running out of moves and uh, getting knocked out because Davy Grant did a bunch of like crazy blitzes and weird kicks from far away. I'm mean, just like, well, your Cub, Cub Swanson can just do that, but better, right?
0: Yeah, where I land on the matchup is that if Cub Swanson doesn't look massively depleted. Being at bantamweight, I think he's gonna put on a performance. I
1: don't think there's any real reason for it to expect him to, and I'm not like like off, often. It's like a worrying sign when people move down in weight, but like Cubs coming off of an okay run,
0: and he's small, so it's not even like a guy where it's like oh he's he's gonna be so weight drained. It's he he looks like he should have been bantamweight his entire career,
1: and he's three and one in his last four against decent fires, so. It's it's not it's not like he's just on a skid and he's like oh I got to change something. He's just he's just like you know you know everyone's fucking huge now. I could probably make this weight just fine. Uh, I'm down with it.
0: I think Watson is gonna get a late first round finish.
1: I'm gonna say mid second
0: round. <laughs> I, I think he's a lot faster of a starter than uh, someone like Davy Grant is and he doesn't really need as much time to get his reads, I think he's going to benefit from the, the, like. I think the longer the fight goes, the less likely he is to get a finish. Because a lot of his, his offense is just, oh, look at this cool-ass idea I just had in the moment. So then the more opportunities he has to have those moments, like he still gets tired, and his power does deplete as the fight goes on. And Martinez isn't the strongest chin guy in the world, but he's, he's not easy to knock out, really.
1: Okay, uh, next one. Pretty cool matchup in the flyweight division. Askar Askarov fighting Brandon Royville. Um, Is Askar Askarov just going to take Brandon Royval down and do whatever he wants? Uh,
0: I think that there is a good chance that he takes down Brandon Royvall a lot. And I think Brandon Royvall being very slow on the feet could get him hurt by something that would surprise most people.
1: Yeah, I can see that, but uh, I can also see like Roival just being committed to really aggressive forward movement and wacky blitzes, you know, when you can rely rely on him to do that shit is a problem for Askarov. This is another one of those matchups where I'm like, uh, is Brandon Roival going to do what he's good at or is he going to try to be technical and then get hurt and then get into a war by accident and then have to win somehow, Um, which is, you know, normally the more likely thing. His tendency to be uh, just a wacky creative scrambler are probably going to get him to trouble in this fight, to be honest, even though he is a very good scrambler. It's one of those things where, uh, dude, sometimes you just got to learn takedown defense. I think part of the reason that Karkara France was like such a bad matchup for Askar Askarov is because he actually just defends takedowns. He's like, no, I don't want to fucking do this grappling stuff. Won't be having any of that. Whereas most flyweights will be like, I'll do a Gramby roll into a leg entanglement and take the back off of that. And Askar Askarov's just like, nah. Just gonna just gonna stay tight on top. And he's one of the few fighters who in this division who, you know, who like does actually just really try to go for solid positional lockdown grappling but also like his defense isn't that good and he has like liabilities on the back foot when people really go after him so uh, i don't know
0: yeah it's a weird one like the fan me wants to say that royval is gonna win because uh the good guy always finds a way but the realist in me is also like i don't know asker askrov's pretty good he's he's like strong, and Royval is not strong. and Royval is explicitly very slow. So I could just see him kind of losing a couple of early exchanges and then it leading to him getting less like getting more tentative on the feet than you'd hope for him, and then getting taken down once and then just held down for the rest of the round or in a bunch of crazy scrambles where Eskar Askarov he he gets tired I mean, he doesn't like get tired get tired you know like I've seen Royval actually gas or at least run out of ideas and then be submitted by Pantoja well Eskar Askarov is just very hard to finish Royville is very hard to finish but he's just had so much wear and tear in his career and he has we've seen him be finished before
1: yeah um also, Pantoja more the kind of guy who's gonna do that. Not that Askar Askarov is incapable of getting on rivals' back if he if he just gives it up in in a moment of catastrophically bad brain thinking, which you know he, he is want to do. But like you know, Askar Askarov did get kind of tired, it's like um, did get kind of tired having to scramble with Pantoja for a round. But like Pantoja also got tired and just didn't press his advantages late in the fight. So uh fuck it. I'm gonna pick Brandon Royful to get out wrestled for a bit and then do a cool scramble and then do a bunch of weird uh shifting strikes and uh hurt Askar Askarov and guillotine him.
0: Cause that would be cool. Would be very cool. I, I think I'm leaning towards askar by control into like a later round submission or middle round submission. But my preference is for Brandon Royval to get a a neat knockout. Oh, and then Dusko Todorovic is fighting Jordan Wright. Jordan Wright is actually getting to fight someone that he has a chance to beat. So that's neat. Good on Jordan Wright. I think he's probably going to fuck up Todorovic really badly. Yeah? Yeah. Well, at least that's... That's my what I'm tending to think, because he, he's a very fast starter, and Dusko is kind of small for for middleweight, and also has a history of of being knocked out or at least fucked up really badly by imposing threats that start fast, and also you just like the way that Jordan Wright's been losing, like he he got his ass beaten by Joaquin Buckley, he got uh beaten by bruno silva someone that he actually never had a chance to beat
1: oh yeah both of those guys were just always going to knock him out
0: yeah and and like he beat jamie pickett kind of just the way that he beats people in general
1: yeah and then the, the Marc andre barrio one obviously thought he had to make a change and be technical so he started wrestling and just got guillotined uh i mean that might happen Mm-hmm. He might just, like, lose scrambles and end up on bottom. Or he might just not knock Dusko Todorovich out early. And because... Like, Dusko Tudorovic is, you know, he's not... He's not offensively useless or anything. like, like if, No, if, he's a good so fighter. Someone, someone's capitulating, he can just push you into the cage and throw hooks and kill you. You fucking did it to Michelle Perera.
0: <laughs> yeah, for me, it's more just thinking that Jordan Wright is a psychopath who will... Like channel the karate spirit and go full fucking blast trying to kill you, and Dusko Todorovic normally likes, a, like a couple minutes to get into the fight. But Jordan Wright doesn't really let you have a couple minutes to get into the fight if he doesn't get fucked up really badly to start and get put on the back foot. And even then, if he gets fucked up, he's more likely to just come at you harder. So I think it's just a risky gambit for Are you picking Dusko Jordan Wright. Yeah, I'm picking Jordan Wright by knockout.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pick Dusko Todorovic. Okay, by th- being
0: consistent. <laughs> yeah, I I saw the matchup and was instantly like, "Oh, Jordan Wright's gonna fucking kill him." Yeah, yeah, uh... yeah. I, I was thinking, "Oh, Jordan Wright's—he's large and he, he starts really fast and he's violent." And Dusko Todorovic has similarities there, but he's also—I just can't get the like the knockout where he got his head knocked back fucking three feet every time he got hit out of my head like Punahele Soriano punched his head so far away and then Chidi knocked him out and those two are very good fighters better than Jordan Wright I would definitely agree but Jordan Wright is not bad I I think his his losses have made him look worse than he is He, he, he is a fast starter who has fought some matchups that are pretty hard to be a fast starter against
1: Okay, uh, uh, Misha Serkinov's fighting Alonzo Manafield. Alonzo is going to win by knockout.
0: Yeah, very, very likely, I would say.
1: Misha Serkinov has just had like like him losing his chin and then losing his confidence and then those two things just like compounding and making each other worse over time. It's just like I, I can't pick Misha Serkinov in a fight or even pick him to not get finished at this point. Uh, Mana Martinez is fighting Brandon Davis. I mean, uh, f- Fucking Brandon Davis is going to win. Who cares? Victor Henry is fighting Rafael Assuncao. This is mean if you like Rafael Assuncao, but dope if you like Victor Henry, which we do, because uh, one of the first episodes of the podcast, Victor Henry was making his UFC debut against Tony Barcelos, and a bunch of people were like, who the fuck is this guy? He's going to lose. And we were like... Uh, No, he's fucking not. This guy's really good. Um, Man, this would have been a fucking incredible fight if uh, I thought Rafael Assange was anywhere near intact. But uh, time is not kind to the small men. Uh, Like, what is he, 40 now? and had a remarkably long career, had a lot more longevity than most people are able to achieve in these kind of divisions, because he's just one of the like best defensive savvy technicians in MMA ever, and like one of the greatest bantamweights ever. But I think he's a shell of himself, and like Victor Henry always would have been a kind of bad matchup for him. He's going to get destroyed.
0: Uh, I agree. I think Victor Henry has... I mean, also, Victor Henry is very old, Uh, or not like very old, but he's getting up there and he's had a very long career despite just getting to the UFC. He was one of the better guys outside of the UFC for a long time.
1: Yeah, but he's only at that point where like you don't need to give him softball matchups or prospect development in the UFC. Put him straight in there with a guy like Hannibal Salosh and off of of a performance like that, he's already fighting a Sun Sal and you have to think he's just going to be in there with meaningful bantamweight contenders if he gets this one done. So... Um, you know, there's there's still time for him to make his mark on this division.
0: Yeah, and I'm expecting Victor Henry to look very good. I think it would be absurdly pessimistic to assume that he would randomly start looking not great, especially in a matchup that lends itself to so much success as this one because Asuncao, I think, already is a matchup that Victor Henry could have done really well with were it prime of Cao. Just based off of the way that Asuncao likes to structure his counters and and like, kind of set up throughout a fight. I think Victor Henry is good at poking holes in that type of game. But g- honestly, good on whoever match made this fight to give Victor Henry another counter puncher. That that is a, over, honestly, like a little overly defensive because it it really gives his his game room to to shine.
1: Yeah, and someone who you can force to be purely defensive and just get them to shell up and and put variety and volume on them, like. Corey Sandhagen was able to, and I'm sure Victor Henry is going to be able to compete as a grappler with Rafael Sanzao.
0: That is something. This fight could have really, really interesting grappling exchanges. That I'm not 100 percent sure that Victor Henry is going to be doing spectacular in. I think he's going to be competitive in them, but unless Sanzao is just way worse at grappling now than I think he is, and, and like his grappling is degraded to the point to where He's like a shell of his former self. I do think he's actually gonna be competitive if they grapple.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely fair because there's no reason to assume that his grappling has degraded to the point that his just like uh defensive reactions and physical durability have, because we don't really have any data on that. You know, he got subbed by Marlon Marias after he got dropped.
0: He Yeah, if he wasn't like basically unconscious when that happened i could not have been like eh, maybe
1: uh, there was it was the cory sandhagen fight but there was also there was just like no reason to expect cory sandhagen to be as good a grappling as he was at that point
0: and even then it was mostly cory winning on the feet with like some pretty neutral grappling throughout
1: yeah and i don't think he had attempted takedowns against cody garbrandt and what the fuck was he gonna do uh Trying to grapple against Ricky Simone. So that that could be a thing that could be interesting. Other than that, he he you know, he's pro- probably just gonna get wiped out.
0: Yeah, and the clinch is gonna be pretty dangerous for sunset too.
1: Yeah. But um fast happen I'm glad it's Victor Henry. Nick Maximov is fighting Jacob Malcoon.
0: Couldn't be a more boring fight. Christian, you're gonna do the,
1: the Nick Maximov bit.
0: No, I'm waiting to see if he upgrades himself to like Dick Average.
1: Dick medium.
0: Yeah, he he might he might become like dick adequate or um, Honestly, he could minimum implies that it's like still serviceable. He might get lower than that.
1: I'm gonna pick Jacob Malcoon. Cause Jacob Malcoon is like just uh tries really hard and has a degree of strategic adaptability and is definitely a way better striker than Nick Maximov. He's just he spent too much time around Rob Whitaker. Kind of got robbed by um Brandon Allen.
0: That is fair. Yeah, I think I'm gonna pick Jacob Malcolm too. Uh but I don't know. Nick Maximov has room in the matchup, probably. They're both pretty inexperienced.
1: He he he's probably going to be like larger than Jacob Malcolm, but that's not been an issue for Malcoon in most of his fights, really. Um, probably the last fight that uh bears uh, mention Tatsuro Tyra is fighting C J Vergara. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I think uh Tatsuro Tyra is one of the coolest prospects. Or cool's undefeated prospect, at least, because uh, he's not untested. He's just somewhat unproven. He passes the eye test with flying colors, though, which is always something to get excited about for me. Um, I, I think that C.J. Vergara is tough enough, though, to actually give Tatsuro some difficulty if Tatsuro's youth shows up too much in this fight, which it it has a tendency to show up some, even in his wins.
1: Yeah, um, you know, C.J. Vergara, he, you know, he's really gonna. It's really going to test Tyra on the back foot. I'm sure, you know, Tyra, you know, he likes to hang out and not push a massive pace and wait for nice counters. Uh, you know, they're both pretty good grapplers as well. CJ Vergara more, more about like, uh, you know, getting nice sweeps to stay tight on top. Uh, Tyra is really nice at taking the back. Uh,
0: and the other three fights on the card that we're not going to talk about very much, uh, Joe Anderson, Brito versus Luke, Lucas Alexander, uh, It should be at least enjoyable. And then Sam Hughes versus Pierre Rodriguez. I mean, Sam Hughes is all right. And Pierre Rodriguez is an undefeated prospect. So they're probably trying to set up uh, Sam Hughes to get beaten, but Sam Hughes is not that easy to beat. But then the matchup I actually want to talk about a little bit, and by talk about I mean give any context to, is Pete Rodriguez versus Mike Jackson. Just because it's weird, it's two guys that have... Incredibly little experience in the UFC. No,
1: I mean, it makes sense in terms of matchmaking. Like, who else are these guys supposed to fight in the UFC?
0: Well, I I think it makes sense in theory. And then you look at uh, Pete Rodriguez and he's actually, like, a fighter who's just inexperienced. Whereas Mike Jackson is, like, one in one.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is is one of those things where they did a favor to Pete Rodriguez because... He came in short notice when he's realistically not experienced enough to be in the UFC, um, but he filled in short notice to fight uh, pretty much the most exciting prospect in this division, um, Jack Della Maddalena, um, and got fucking starched in the first round because that was obviously going to happen because it was a massive experience differential. Uh, so they're like, oh, you can fight Mike Jackson. Like I know, Pete Rodriguez is like actually a fighter, but who, who the fuck is Mike Jackson supposed to fight?
0: I don't know. I think that he's actually competent enough to where you could give him someone that's just a striker, and it would be a reasonable enough test to let him come along more. Because I have absolutely no idea where his grappling is at. But Mike Jackson is not going to test that at all. Like Mike Jackson, you look at his record; he has one win, and it's by eye gouge. So I don't know. He, that versus a guy that actually has authority behind his body punches and wasn't going to win ever, but he he fucking made Jack Dillon, have to try.
1: So how did Mike Jackson end up in the UFC?
0: Uh, Because he was someone with very little experience who was a reporter or a journalist or something, and then he fought Mickey Gall so they could give Mickey Gall someone to smash and then he he had a random Muay Thai fight outside of the UFC and then he fought CM Punk and that doesn't even count as a win anymore because he got drug tested. He popped for weed on the CM Punk fight uh, which is sick, badass, good for him. He, he's going to get knocked the fuck out by Pete Rodriguez.
1: Yeah, probably. Cool. That's the fights. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast and all the other great stuff that the fight site puts out can please consider supporting us on Patreon where Pledge of Just $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content. Uh, there's also access to a Discord server where we have a great community full of cool and interesting fight fans from a variety of different backgrounds. We always have great discussions. Always hang out in the VC and watch fights. You can talk to the staff. It's good fun. Come support the fight site, hang out. We'll catch you next week where we'll be probably not spending very much time at all to recap this card to be honest because who fucking cares because next week is the good one UFC 280 you got Chucky Olives taking on Islam Makhachev, TJ Dillashaw uh, taking on Aljamain Sterling for Bantamweight title Yan versus Sean O'Malley which is really funny fucking Benil Dariush versus Montage Gamrot it's a fucking nutty card uh, we'll see you guys then peace
0: Later.